It is Wednesday, June 8th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And Jared, it's been a little bit since we've done this. We've been knee-deep in these player profiles. And, you know, I had to decide before doing the stream today, are you going to trim off the stuff and look good for the camera for people on YouTube? Or you just wear the work on your face. And I I tend to do that just to, you know, let people know. I'm not over here relaxing, drinking cocktails by the pool. We're, We're working. Yeah, you've heard of uh, playoff beards. We do profile beards around Draft Sharks HQ. I like to let it grow during the season, too. So if people see me on multiple podcasts during the week, they can be like, oh, <laughs> he looks pretty rough by Friday. I guess he is putting in the work and trying to help me win. Yeah, we always look rough during the season, any day of the week. So <laughs> That's right. So today, we are jumping back into it by streaming a live draft. Jared and I are both going to draft in the same Best Ball Mania 3 draft on Underdog. I'm going to share the screen just so people know that it's real. And we're going to jump into the lobby right now. So, Jared, I'm hitting enter on a 30-second fast draft in BBM3. Um, That is a yes. I will go ahead and pay the money for it and everything. So I'm in there. Jared's jumping in now, waiting for eight people at the moment. Anybody else who wants to jump in and draft with us is welcome to do so. And we're just going to talk about this draft throughout. I know I've been doing plenty of drafting on Underdog in recent days. Jared, I'm assuming that you've been doing so as well. Yeah, we're in the same draft here, so that's good. That would have been a disaster if, you know, somehow we'd ended up in two separate drafts. So that, uh, step one is completed there. Yeah, this will be my fourth Best Ball Mania three draft. Um, I'm, I'm planning to get up somewhere between 40 and 50 total, but I'm, you know, definitely spacing them out. And I'll probably do most in August, you know, more in August than any of the other months. But yeah, I mean, I did, I did about, I think I did about 30 last year. And man, I, I had a good season as far as like advance rate goes i think i advanced like 35 or something percent of my teams which is you know more than double what you'd expect then then my teams kind of petered out um in the playoff week so i am and we'll we'll talk about it as we get into this draft but i'm I'm definitely adjusting my strategy a bit in these this year to structure my teams more to hopefully you know win the big money in the final couple weeks whereas i feel like last year i was more concerned with just advancing my teams you know through that that first uh, 14 week uh, contest. And that's a key point. I will talk about more specifics as we move forward. Um, you know, first of all, it's worth noting that they added the regular season prize this year. So you will actually get, you know, advanced credit for having just the best team through the regular season portion of this contest, which is different from previous years. But the key difference here, you know, usually across fantasy formats, what we're trying to do is just build the best team for the season. That's not the case when you finish a regular season and then go week by week through the playoffs. You can have the absolute best team overall and get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs just because if you have a bad week there, you're not advancing beyond. So, you know, there's there's lots of argument back and forth on Twitter right now, as there tends to be over anything. But there's lots of focus on, you know, building rosters to maximize that week 17 upside. And then, of course, others saying you're overrating week 17. There's the rest of the season that we have to play for. It's a mix of those. You can't just try to draft the best team because if it stinks in week 16, then you have a lot lower, 
you know, money winning upside than you do if you actually do pay some attention to week 17 as you're building out that roster. And uh, Pete Overzet did a really good video sometime in the last week, kind of just breaking down what this tournament looks like. And a part of that was looking at the prize structure. And I think, I think the number was something like 90% of the prize pool is paid out in week 17. So like, I mean, so like you, you, I think we need to be optimizing for week 17. Yeah. It's going to be tough to get teams to week 17, but uh, that if you're playing, you know, you should treat this as a DFS GPP. It's it's a tournament. There's 450,000 teams in it. And, you know, a, massive portion of the prize pool is paid to the top there there is the there's there's one million dollars this year to the best scoring team in the first 14 weeks of the season but the, but you know there's nothing for the second best scoring team for the season so like i'm, I'm not super worried about winning that um you know it, it's the it's the week 17 paths that I'm, I'm sort of gunning for yeah and i mean the way that you do it wrong is to overplay week 17 and go reaching for these stacks that you want in the games that you think are going to be the fantasy focal points that week, the way to play it right, I think is to, as you're building your team, look at those potential week 17 correlations. You know, if you start out with the chiefs and let me just check week 17 to say, to make sure I'm not saying the wrong teams, but you know, let's say you get Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes early in your draft. Then you, if you're looking to break ties or even looking at a a pack of ADP players, the chiefs play the Broncos in week 17. So Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Russell Wilson, maybe not so much Russell Wilson because you need Patrick Mahomes to to smash. But, you know, Broncos gain a little bit of value versus other guys in a similar range if you're playing for that Week 17 correlation. You know, if you can look for Week 17 and Week 16, then all the better. But Week 17 matters the most because, as you mentioned, that's where most of the money is. And the previous weeks you can, you just, you're trying to finish high in a smaller group. Whereas week 17, you're trying to beat the entire group of qualifiers. Yeah. I think it's like 450 teams are going to make week 17 this year. So even that, you know, it was like a small GPP if you're, if you're, you know, comparing it to DFS. Yeah. I, I, uh, I always have the week 17 schedule pulled up in front of me when I'm doing these drafts this year. And I, I didn't do that last year, which again speaks to, I was you know more concerned with just, drafting good teams that I thought could advance, but this year I'm definitely looking at the week 17 schedule. And, you know, I think as you were saying, any strategy you talk about when you're, you know, drafting in these basketball tournaments is all, always needs to be through the lens of ADP. Like we don't want to be reaching well past ADP just to make a stack or just to make a, a correlation. Cause in, you know, in that case, you're, you're still losing out to the field. There's going to be other teams that have that same stack or that same game stack they got it at better value than you. So we never want to be reaching to, to make this stuff happen. For sure. And, you know, beyond week 17, if you're overreaching to make your stacks work, then you're taking away the value that you gain by trying to mm-hmm. stack in the first place. I think as we watch players come off the board, we can talk about some stacks that make more or less sense right now. Some that cost more than they should or less than they should at the moment. I know we've talked about such players in, you know, just talking more generally about our draft approach so far, but it's it's more interesting to see it play out. And, and I think pretty early in the draft, um, we'll talk about uh, maybe a stack that I'm not so excited about that's still pretty prominent in, in fantasy plans at this point. Um, who have you, I, I guess, let me start by saying, where in round one have you enjoyed picking the most so far or hated picking the most, if that's a stronger feeling? 
Yeah, we're gonna. I've only done three of the the best ball mania threes. I've gotten the one pick and one of them, and the two pick and the other. Which you know, I, last year again, I did thirty something of these. I didn't get the one pick a single time, which <laughs> ended up being a blessing because you know that was Christian McCaffrey, and those teams were basically dead. Um, but I, yeah, I've picked one, two, and then I think my other draft was like eight or nine. Um, I love picking at the start of the draft, either one or two, because I do think Taylor and McCaffrey are big edges there, and then I'm, I'm sure we'll. We'll get to him here, but um, you know Saquon Barkley has regularly been available at that two-three turn. Uh, his ADP is climbing, so you know, we'll see where he goes in this draft. I'm not sure he's going to be there at that point for much longer. But um, to me, you know, starting something like Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley in a top-heavy tournament like this, where you're just worried about upside, I, I think you know both those guys. You know, Taylor obviously, and I think I think Barkley, if he stays healthy, like he has a good shot to be a top-five fantasy back this year. So, are you never taking Cooper <laughs> Cup among the top two if you're picking one of those two spots? No, I'm not taking Cup over uh, Taylor or McCaffrey. Three is three is where I'd, I'd take Cup. That surprises me because Cooper <laughs> Cup is absolutely in the mix for me there, and not just does I think not not just because I think he makes sense versus those two specific players, but I find the running back options a lot more attractive at my next two turns than I do the wide receiver options. So I feel better about what I have if I start with Cooper Cup and then pick from what's left at the two three turn as well as the four five turn. Yeah, that's fair. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just pulling up our projections to see. Yeah, I mean, I guess we have Cup projected for like 309 points, which is you know right in line with with Taylor and McCaffrey. So you you could definitely make an argument for it. Um, I, I think to me Taylor and McCaffrey, unless you expect Cup to do what he did last year, um, I think Taylor and McCaffrey have a, a better chance to just be that you know ultimate difference maker. I mean, I would say that Taylor, I would say Cup has a better chance of doing something close to what he did last year than what Jonathan Taylor does of having of doing close to what he did last year. Cooper, Cooper Cup's numbers, if you look at just the rates broken down, he didn't do a whole lot that was not repeatable, other than you know making all of these things happen at once, and it's more a matter of. Yeah. of you know, being worried that all these things happen together, but touchdown rate, for example, wasn't out of line for him the way that it was for Jonathan yeah. Taylor versus other guys. Yeah, no, that's totally fair about the race stuff. I mean, the, the target volume for cup was, you know, mm -hmm. I think higher than anyone could have imagined that, you know, maybe it happens again because, you know, they lost Robert Woods and Odell Buckham's not resigned. So maybe he does get that volume. I don't know. Maybe you're talking me into cup at one of the top two picks. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't expect to get a top two pick, often enough to really be making that decision too often. I think I'll get, you know, three or four enough where I'll get my Cooper cup exposure there and not have to yeah. take him at one or two. And it could just be a matter of, I, I have been doing more of these drafts throughout the off season. So I have faced that specific uh, decision for a while now. And I, I know that I want to make sure that I'm getting some Cooper cup. I think he's probably the safest among the three. And that's what I, I guess I'm more concerned about when I when I weigh the safety of those top picks versus each other plus what again what I'm going to be getting later on I like the running back options later uh, especially including Saquon Barkley who you mentioned more than the wide receivers who make it back we have started our draft now it did fill up uh, I synced to my draft sharks um, draft war room so I'm ready for the war room to tell me who I should be picking at the various points, that's certainly a big help, especially at this time of year when a lot of people are going off the ADPs. I think it can really point out um, values along the way. And Jared, you don't necessarily have to take the player that the board says to take. Of course, it can also help you see who you can pass on because he's likely to make it back to you next time. 
That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would never draft without my draft form room here, um, syncing up to the underdog draft forums. I don't, you know, I don't, or the, the draft rooms, I don't need to do anything as far as, you know, marking guys off. It's all done for me there. So it's, it's sweet. Yeah. And that's new this year. We just introduced the sync to underdog drafts. So as Jared said, you can be in the midst of your draft. It's going to automatically take drafted players off of your board on draftsharks.com. So, I mean, that's not only a great tool and an underdog in these fast paced drafts, but it's going to be a great tool for any drafts um, on sites where you can sync throughout draft season. So that's been a, a big addition. And especially yeah. here, as we get 30 seconds to pick, I don't have to worry about clicking around too much. I can get that recommendation quickly. Jared, I see you're picking a couple spots ahead of me. You are ninth overall in this one. I'm at 11. So I'm close to the turn. I've been picking in this range a lot lately. I'll be curious to see what makes it to me on the board in this one. Full disclosure for me too. I rarely do fast drafts on underdog. You know, to me, the, the whole structure of this tournament and all the things I'm trying to think about as far as you know, the, the stacks and the correlations and the week 17 stuff. Wow. Mark Andrews goes at eight. Um, wow. That's why you do the fast drafts, by the way, <laughs> stuff like that happens a lot more often in these than it does in the slow ones. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take overweight Najee Harris here. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that's who I took in uh, my other draft that I had the eight or nine pick too. Um, I'm just I'm just buying the volume for him. Yeah. Now, what I'm curious to see with him is uh, it doesn't seem like the reports of his weight hurt his draft position at all. I'm wondering if now his I don't know if it's an admission, concession, whatever that he is um, expecting to get less work. I want to see if that changes anything. And that was a little surprising to read just because you rarely hear players come out and say, I expect less work. But I mean, you know, Najee Harris pretty easily led the league in both offensive snaps and total touches last year. So, you know, he, he can he can lose 10 percent and still be among the top five in terms of volume. go. And you look at that depth chart, it's Benny Snell and Anthony McFarland behind uh, Harris on the depth chart. So I don't think he's going to be coming off the field for, for those two guys very often. Yeah, it's one of those that if you just think about it logically, it's like, well, duh, he saw a ton of touches both as a runner and a receiver last year. Obviously, if he keeps working at that level, he's going to quickly wear out. So there's got to be something that's done. And it seems like Najee Harris is, he seems like in interviews that he's just an honest kind of guy. He's going to be like, yeah, I expect to not be on the field as much. So, you know, I'm curious to see if drafters overreact to that. I don't think that it's a concern because it's something that should be done. And their running back situation was so bad last year, it can't Mm -hmm. do anything but get better behind him. But like you said, it's Anthony McFarland, it's Benny Snell right now. There's not a guy that's actually stealing a large number of touches from Najee Harris to actually hurt him fantasy-wise. Yeah, for sure. So I, I went Saquon Barkley there at 2-4. This is another thing I've been starting to, to think about is just creating different player combinations early in drafts. So that, that that's, I guess, one advantage of reaching beyond ADP. Like it, So if Saquon Barkley's ADP stays where it is, there aren't going to be many teams that have him paired with Najee Harris, who's going you know at the back end of round one. If, if you know Barkley's ADP climbs, which I, I think it will, uh, we might, might start to see more teams with that combination. Um, but I do just in general like the idea of in these, especially in these, you know, I guess in these early rounds when there's not a ton separating someone who goes, you know, mid second and late second, you know, maybe that's where you reach six spots, seven spots past ADP, just to try to get different combinations of these, of these high end guys. 
Yeah, I'll be curious to see what ADP does in a tournament like this that has so many spots that it's going to be open for a while. So I think we're going to see some ADP swings. And I, I think Barkley is going to be somebody that climbs earlier in round two. Um, I certainly don't dislike drafting him there. I dislike being in a draft with you that makes uh, <laughs> Saquon Barkley go earlier. But I knew that at my draft position, he wasn't really going to make it to a sensible spot for me. I started off with Devontae Adams at 11 and then Joe Mixon around the turn. Devonte Adams, there's some risk, but I still expect him to be at least close to a target hog. If he doesn't officially reach hog status in the in the target share that he gets with his new team, they clearly traded for him to have him lead that passing game, and he's playing with a quarterback that he knows. So it's not a totally new situation to him. And I think, especially when we're talking about a spike week format, um, I'll take a shot on Devontae Adams in that range. And I took him first because I, I had a pretty good feeling that Joe Mixon, who would have been my first running back choice in that spot, I had a pretty good feeling that he would make it back to me around the turn. Yeah, and Mixon's the guy I definitely would have considered if he had gotten to me um, in the second round there. I, I like the Adams pick. One thing I think people are overlooking, at least when it comes to his volume, is the Packers were a super slow-paced offense over the past few seasons. So their play volume was not that high. Um, I think, I think you're going to see just more plays in general in Vegas than what Adams had been getting in green Bay. I do expect Vegas to be a pass leaning offense under Josh McDaniels. And yeah, I, I do expect Adams target share to come down a bit, but I still think you're going to see him in the, you know, 25, 26, 27% range. And again, throw that in with the extra plays that I think he's going to get in Vegas. And I think his volume is going to be you know similar. I think we have it, you know, 10 to 15, fewer targets than he saw last last year in Green Bay, but he's you know still among the top five target getters in our projections. Yeah, and in addition to pace, I mean, we saw the Packers not throw the ball a ton because they were a very successful team over the mm-hmm. past three seasons. So that's naturally going to bring rushing volume down a little bit. I don't think the Raiders are a great bet to be as successful as the Packers were over the past three, three seasons. So that should help the volume. Will Devontae Adams' target share fall significantly versus what it was in Green Bay? It's possible, but uh, especially in this format, I'm not so concerned. And I think he's he adds some safety versus the running backs, especially in that range. And again, like I said, with Cooper Cup at the top of the draft, I think there's some advantage, I guess, or at least safety advantage in taking a wide receiver right there if you're not sure on the wide receiver versus the running backs, because the wide receivers are going to leave the board quicker. You're going to find more attractive running backs available later on than you will wideouts. Yeah, I also just like like taking um, AFC West players right now. I mean, there's going to be just some shootouts in that division. Who do the Raiders play? Okay, uh, okay, they get the Niners week 17, so it's not a... uh... AFC West game, but that, that could, that could definitely still be a fun game. It could be. And there are certainly going to be 49ers options around. So that's the, you know, that's, it's good that you bring that up now, just because I started with Devonte Adams doesn't mean that I'm going to be hot after 49ers players the rest of the way, but you know, there could come a point where I'm looking at Brandon Ayuk versus a similar receiver or Trey Lance, you know, considering when to draft my quarterback, maybe it's Trey Lance, especially if Derek Carr doesn't happen to get to me. So um, you know, we'll consider those things as they come up. This is a, a tougher pick for me, I got to say, at the end of round three. And I'm going to scroll through what's on the board a little bit, but I think I'm going to end up taking somebody that I don't love here. And I'll lean Cortland Sutton. And there, honestly, there's no strong reason for me to take him ahead of Jalen Waddle, Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson. The reason I'll go Cortland Sutton over Jerry Judy here is because I think that he will be a deeper A dot player and at least as much of an end zone target 
as Jerry Judy. So in this half PPR spike week format, plus the early buzz with Russell Wilson and Cortland Sutton working together, just has me leaning toward Cortland Sutton if I'm deciding between those guys. Yeah, well, I think in the AB, the ADPs too, kind of surprised me, but you know, Sutton's going, you know, half a round ahead of Jerry Judy. I, I actually prefer Judy straight up. And there goes Judy. I was thinking maybe you would have had a chance to, would you have taken Judy if he had gotten back to you there? I think that's a little too early to double up on those guys for me. I don't expect them to dominate things there the way that that uh, you might see, you know, with like uh, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen in Minnesota. Yep. Yep. Um, this is another tough one for me, but I'm going to take a guy that's that I still think will be number one in Pittsburgh for the season over Marquise Brown, who's. I think probably his best bet is to be the number one receiver in Arizona for a little bit and then split at best with DeAndre Hopkins going forward. So, you know, I guess I can understand Marquise Brown in that range, but he hasn't been a buy for me there. So Jared's on the clock now. I'm at three receivers. I've got a running back. Jared just took Cam Akers in round four. I probably should have considered Cam Akers a little bit more strongly, but we're also getting into the range where there are more running backs that I like than the field tends to like. Yeah, that's my third running back. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going the, the robust running back belt here, which honestly, I, I I never go into drafts wanting to do that, but I do end up leaning that mm-hmm. way in a lot of these. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I think, uh, first of all, it's half PPR, which I think some people overlook. And that just in general, you know, boosts running back value relative to wide receiver value. And, and I, I just always think, I always like the, you know, later round, double digit round wide receivers. I'd rather build through quantity at wide receiver you know I'll, I'll end up taking we'll see how it plays out but I'll end up taking eight or nine wide receivers in, in this draft and, you know probably stop at either four or five running backs mm-hmm. yeah I rarely go I don't, I'm not sure I've gone past five running backs in any of these underdog drafts so far especially now that it's 18 rounds for the yeah. current tournaments versus 20 in the early ones. But yeah, I like getting those early running backs as well because we don't see as many teams doing that. If we just scroll through the board here, you're the only one with three running backs so far in this draft. We see one, two, three, three others have two running backs and we're midway through round four, actually a little bit further than midway through round four. So those early running backs, you know, not only is it different than what our, draft is doing so far you know versus the other teams but the early running backs are the guys that are more likely to get those heavy workloads so if we look at where things fall off like normally when you look at the graph you see running backs and wide receivers pretty close and scoring and then running back just falls off quicker whereas wide receiver falls off more slowly so if you can hit on those first three guys that are just monsters in in terms of what workload they get going forward, that can certainly be a key differentiator. And you could find a league winning pick in a guy like Cam Akers, if he's all the way back from the Achilles this year. And if he gets the kind of workload that the Rams wanted to give him in the playoffs last year. Yeah. That's my thing with Akers. I, I, and I'm, I'm still not sure what that backfield's going to look like with Daryl Henderson back and you know they drafted Kyron Williams he's he's dealing with the broken foot now which isn't going to help him or in a roll out of the gate but you know, j- just the upside with Cam Akers if he gets you know something close to the role he got in the playoffs for most of that time uh, if he gets something close to the workloads and you know, we we've seen Sh- uh, Sean McVay give Todd Gurley like that upside to get him in, in the fourth round again in this format where I'm you know, I'm looking for that ceiling you know, the acres is someone I'm definitely interested in now that he's, you know, he's pretty regularly going in the fourth round now too, which is a bit surprising to me. 
And everybody's best ball buddy, James Brimacombe, is with us on YouTube. He's Eagles, of course, if you're in the best ball rooms. He says you can build a nice core, a nice wide receiver core set just in the rounds four through 10 pretty easily. And I certainly agree with that. So like, I, as I kind of alluded to, you know, I happen to go three receivers versus one running back so far here. I could just as easily go three running backs versus one receiver here and like what I get the rest of the way. So I, I think it's important to stay flexible in how you start your draft and, you know, let some of it be dictated by the players that are out there and some of it just be dictated by what you've been doing more often in other recent drafts. I like the wide receivers better than the running backs here still. I'm going to go ahead and take Brandon Cooks to keep things looking nice in my wide receiver core. And I think it's going to be time to hit the running backs pretty hard pretty soon. Yeah, I was pumped to get DK Metcalf there um, at the tail end of the fifth round. Here. The, only, you know, the only thing I don't like about it, and I can say the same thing about DJ Moore, which is why I don't love those two receivers in this format. It's just they're not they're not good stacking players. You know, I don't really want to spend a draft pick on on Sam Darnold or Matt Corral or Drew Locke, Geno Smith. You know, so that that's kind of the issue with these wide receivers here. Um, so I'll probably end up stacking uh, a different team versus you know the ones uh, that I took my first two wide receivers from there. I think what you can do, though, is if you wind up with tight ends that you like and don't need a third one of those, or if you can, if you wind up with four strong running backs and don't feel like yeah. you need to draft draft a fifth one of those, <laughs> that's when you can stash that third quarterback and take somebody like Drew Locke, or maybe even take a shot that Baker Mayfield winds up in Seattle and you've got a differentiator. I, I think those are mm -hmm. worth considering on that front. I'm going to take a shot here on Michael Thomas because I already have four wide receivers and there's a little bit less risk to him as my fifth one. Uh, now we'll, we'll push off the running back question a little bit longer. Yeah. It's going back to the quarterback thing. I, I generally try to stick to two in this format uh, with only having 18 picks. Um, and I like trying to, I mean, if I'm going to, I like to have one of the, you know, the top five or six as the mm -hmm. anchor. And then I can, you know, take, you know, someone in the 15 to, you know, 22, 23 range as my second guy. So I'm going to do that here actually and take uh, Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I considered uh, Hurts at my turn as yeah. well. Could have easily gone that way. Uh, I agree with trying to generally stick to two quarterbacks and I do usually take somebody within the top 10 to 12. At, at times though, I've kind of, I've had reaches by others push me into the later rounds for quarterback. And at that point, especially if I'm taking my first outside the top 12, I think it's a better idea to take three at that point, you know, unless I land on two that I think are higher ceiling players in that range. But if, you know, if I'm taking three from QB 15 on, I don't want to rely on two guys to yeah. get me through points wise. I want to take three to try to maximize the points that I'm getting by week. And then that, that also opens up more stacking options, more correlation options when you do that, if you can afford to, because your other positions are strong enough to support it. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and just in general, I mean, there's a ton of work that's been done out there about, you know, optimal roster constructions, how to allocate those 18 picks across the different positions. But to me, it always depends on the specific team. If I take an elite tight end, I'm, I'm going to just take two of them. If I wait until, you know, round 10 to take my first tight end. I'm very likely going to take three, maybe even four in that case. And the same goes with the other positions. You know, my team here, I took three running backs in the first four rounds. I'm only going to take one, maybe two more. Where if I had only taken one running back in the first five or six rounds, then I'm taking five or six of them. So it always depends. You always need to make sure you're balancing out your team based on, you know, the, the capital you spend at each position early on. 
Yeah, I think that's a key point. That's one and one that's easy to overlook as well. If you just like, you know, if you get to a point where you're like, oh, I like the running backs better here, but you already have the three strong ones like you did and you need wide receiver more. Sometimes it's better to just reach over what you like and grab yeah. somebody you don't like. And that can also kind of naturally diversify the players that you have. There's a lot of talk of diversifying the portfolio. You know, it's it's one of the tougher things to do, especially when you do this stuff all the time and you wind up with players you like and players you don't and values you don't. Yeah. There are players I just want to skip over all the time. Sometimes I just have to be like, all right, if this guy does do something this season, I don't want to be totally out on it just because I decided I don't like his outlook for this year. So I, I it's something you just kind of have to force yourself into at times. And that's good, kind of one more natural way to do it is saying, I, if I grab a running back here, he's really probably not going to help me all that. Yeah, it's always always a fine line to me when it comes to you know player exposures versus you know having takes and you know liking a guy. You know, we we loved Cooper Cup last year. I had like forty percent Cooper Cup in underdog, which is a big reason I had all those teams advance. So yeah, and it depends how many drafts you're doing. Like I'm like I'm doing fifty. If I'm doing fifty of these, that's when I probably do care about exposures a bit. But if you're only doing ten, even twenty of these, I would just kind of get your guys and not worry too much about you know how exposed you are to certain players. I agree. I think the more entries you do, the more that diversification matters. And I think you, the way to, I guess, build an advantage or, or find your edge if you're drafting fewer rosters is to hone in on some key guys because you're either going to win with those guys or you're probably not going to win. If you're drafting 10 teams, similarly to how people are drafting 150 teams, then the 150 team drafters probably have some of the builds that you're already putting together as well. Yep, exactly. I do not like this spot coming up here for me. I was I was praying somehow Devontae Smith would, would get to me. You know, that was a stretch because his ADP is like 10 spots before where I was picking um, to stack up with Jalen Hurts there, but not going to happen. How much do you tend to look ahead when you're making a pick, like checking to see what's likely to be on the board still when it comes back to you in deciding who to pick? I think Jalen Hurts is a good example of somebody that, you know, maybe you look at it, maybe you think about it a little bit. Will I get Devontae Smith? Will I get Dallas Goddard? But you also don't need to get those guys because the ultimate right. ceiling for Jalen Hurts is a terrific rushing season along with some good passing. Yeah, I mean, when I take a, quarterback especially I'm always looking um at where his wide receivers ADPs are and you know, how many are still on the board and whether I'm likely to get one of them and I I hate this spot here <laughs> yeah I'll let you I'm focus gonna... on that it's <laughs> obvious who I'm hoping is going to get to my spot uh in a couple of picks I think that was a fine spot for Dallas Goddard we've talked about him a lot and I did get the player I was hoping for who's an obvious one uh Russell Wilson to pair with my Cortland Sutton share from earlier you know, I've got to look back at the week 17 schedule to that. Oh yeah. It's Denver, Kansas city in that one. So probably not going to be a whole lot of chiefs coming back on that one. I mean, it's, it's later chiefs that we're looking at, but I'm just happy to put um, Russell Wilson with Cortland Sutton for that week 17 right now. And for, you know, the, the entire season. One thing I do in these underdog drafts, I think it's especially important if you're doing fast drafts is um, once I, you know, once I build a stack, I'll go into the queue and I'll start adding, you know, other guys from that team. So I can add other Eagles. There's probably not any Eagles I want to take. Um, and then, you know, so the Eagles play the saints in week 17. So I I'll have, you know, saints guys in my queue now, uh, just to sort of remind myself to, you know, get that, get that game stack. 
You know what? I do that too. And I've been doing that across formats and it has bitten me at times, especially in a fast draft like this, because I'm just like looking around trying to decide who to draft. And then I let the clock run out and it hit <laughs> Zach Wilson at the top of my queue. I'm like, damn it. He was there. Not for right yeah. now. He was there for round 15. Yeah. I don't want him in yeah. round eight. I just screwed this roster. All right. Adam's Adam is going to be happy. because I'm taking my first share of Sky Moore here. Upside, upside play for sure. I mean, he's, it's well above where we have him ranked, but um, you know, I actually got him a couple spots after ADP there. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll take a shot on him. And I mean, in the grand scheme, he it obviously was a much better value before the NFL draft. But of course, this tournament started after the NFL draft. So it's not like yep. we're drafting against people who took him in round 16 plus. It's other people who were taking point. him in this higher range. He's still climbing. And it's still iffy value, but I agree with you. And especially as we've talked about, we get to this tournament that ends with those one week things. So even if Sky Moore has a disappointing season, he could certainly be a late season difference maker. Not the guy I was reaching for to, you know, complete that Denver Kansas City correlation. I'll look later in the draft for such players. I took Miles Sanders as my second running back, and I'm quite happy to have him make it to me at that point. That's exactly, you know, he would have been in that pool of maybe three to four players that I would most hope would get to a point for me to pick him as I started the draft with one running back and five wideouts. Yeah. Sanders has been a value all off season. He continues to be there in the eighth round. I actually considered taking Sanders in the seventh and then hoping Goddard made it back to me in the eighth to sort of, you know, go, go with the three Eagles there. Um, but the fact that I already had the, the three running backs kind of put me off Sanders at that pick. By the way, I didn't even have it in my mind at the time, but he plays new Orleans in week 17. So 17. if we get Miles Sanders and Michael Thomas big weeks in week 17, uh, I, I could be sitting pretty. We might be angling for the same uh, game stack here. So you know, if that's <laughs> that game goes off. We might be uh, might be one, two on the underdog leaderboard. <laughs> That'd be a fun sweat if we both make it into <laughs> week 17 in this tournament yeah, and we both definitely. need Eagles points. Uh, and then neither of our guys, actually your <laughs> quarterback would be much more likely to be the guy at the goal line than my running back. <laughs> Hopefully that's the idea. <laughs> Yeah. So we probably couldn't watch that game together, but at least uh, at least we could both wind up winners with a big Eagles day. That's right. Alan Lazard at the top of the board. He is skipping minicamp as we speak. And of course, a lot of people are going to look at it like a holdout, but he's not actually signed. So it's not a holdout. <laughs> he has really no reason to be there and more downside because of injury risk to practice without that contract. Jared, let's look back a little bit at the board. We had the surprising Mark Andrews pick in round one. I haven't seen anything too surprising since then. Leonard Fournette, I think it's notable, went at 205 in this draft because the news news <laughs> on Leonard Fournette at the moment is that he brought his belly with him to minicamp. Are you at all concerned about, uh, let's go with larger Lenny at the moment? I'll say, I'll say I'm a, a little concerned. You're not enough to move him in our rank. He's not enough to update projections yet. I'm definitely – monitoring the situation though because you know he he's had i don't want to say he's at off field issues he's had, he's had like some conditioning stuff before in the past i believe um he did just get paid uh, he's you know he's 27 years old now so um i'm monitoring it but you know it, it, as he said you know he, he tends to work off weight over the course of the summer he's, he's you know 10 pounds over where he wants to be he could he could definitely drop that by the time week one rolls around he has been in the league long enough to know kind of the process of working into game shape from here as you get into training camp and toward the season. He has also had a history of lower body injuries. So yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same area. I'm not 
I'm not casting Leonard Fournette aside because he's a little bit tubby in June, yep. but I'm certainly going to be watching that as he reports to camp in July. It's funny because it, it reminds me of Ryan Fitzpatrick a couple of years ago coming back and saying he hit the kid's birthday cake circuit uh, <laughs> and he was a little chubby heading into camp. And then uh, he got back into shape and turned magical. So we'll see where Leonard Fournette's gut goes. Um, any Were there any other picks that you remember or can even see as you look back across the board that, surprised you Russell Gage jumps to mind as somebody that's climbing and I think is a little bit less attractive in this half PPR format especially on a team that does not have Tom Brady as its quarterback yeah I have no interest in Russell Gage ADP underdog right now Um, I'm more optimistic about Chris Godwin this season than I think you are and I think a lot of people are um, so if, if I'm wrong on that, and if Rob Gronkowski doesn't come back, like that's when I could see being interested in Russell Gage at his current price. But I think he needs, you know, kind of both those things to happen to um, pay off there. So I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not taking him unless, you know, unless it's a Brady team, then I'll maybe consider it if I can get him past ADP. Yeah, Gage is a stacking option for me. I think he's more attractive in full PPR, and I think he's also a little bit more attractive now before we know how Chris Godwin's going to be. I think at least we should probably expect a limited Chris Godwin early in the season. I'm definitely backing away from Chris Godwin right now coming off the end-of-season ACL tear. I just think there's a much easier path for him to not be back to himself at any point this season than there is for him to be back to full strength at any point. We'll see where that goes. Um, For this spot, I'm sitting on one quarterback, two running backs, five wideouts. Damian Harris is at the top of the board. I don't think there's anything exciting, but he is a little bit past ADP. He is still the number one running back for the Patriots. So I'll take his spike week upside Uh, here as my third running back. Don't mind that, especially in the half PPR. Um, I took Marquez Velda Scantling, my second straight Chiefs wide receiver. So I don't have Patrick Mahomes, but I'm you know, um, building a little non-quarterback Chiefs stack there. I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. I think, you know, wh- one, if not multiple of those Chiefs wide receivers are, are, are going to pay off because they're all going pretty cheaply. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster is pretty easily the first in the ADP, but even he's, and I think, not unreasonable at cost right now. So I think they're definitely worth investing in. And that, you know, I wish Mahomes was going a bit later because I'd like to, you know, if I could get Mahomes in like round five, it's just nice to have such cheap stacking partners with him. But, you know, Mahomes tends to go in round four in these, and that's just, you know, a bit more than I'm willing to pay. Yeah, um, I agree with that. And with you taking a couple of Chiefs now, we're not only going to be watching the Eagles game together in week 17, we're also going to be watching <laughs> that uh, Chiefs Broncos game for big points. I I just faced two straight turns where I'm not excited about anything, but uh, I landed on Rashad Penny Um, fourth running back. It's a fine spot. I don't have any excitement for Penny's outlook, but there's the chance that he is their number one running back this season, or at least sometimes their number one running back has spike week upside. Obviously the Seahawks like him enough to have re-signed him in free agency. Again, not excited. I took him because I need a running back and I saw his upside more so than the other guys around him. I think to me at wide receiver, there are going to be very similar guys to Christian Watson, Jamison Williams and Kenny Galladay going forward. So I didn't feel the need. Michael Gallup was on the board. Tyler Boyd was on the board. Um, So I didn't feel a need to grab a wide receiver. I didn't feel like I was gaining anything there. Tight end. Maybe I should have gone Zach Ertz or Rob Gronkowski. I don't know. We'll see if I come back to regret that one, but there are tight ends available throughout as well. Jared, for me, Christian Watson 
and Jamison Williams are two guys that I'm really not interested in at all. I think Watson certainly has physical upside and he lands with that Green Bay team that needs wide receiver help, but he's going a little bit too early to actually be a high ceiling player for me right now. And I know that you feel similarly about him. Yeah. Watson's just going too high for me for a guy. I just don't think is ready to make an impact this season. Like I know the opportunities there, but I just don't think he's ready to capture. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not taking him at that price. Um, it's funny you mentioned Williams. Cause I, I took Michael Gallup and you know, Gallup and Williams have the ACLs in common. And I actually, I like taking those types of guys and I'll throw the uh, suspended guy too, like Deandre Hopkins into that mix. Um, if we're getting them at deflated ADPs, which I think we are, I mm-hmm. like them in this format. Cause again, we're most concerned about week 17 and Deandre Hopkins will, you know, barring injury will be on the field week 17. Jamison Williams will be on the field week 17. Michael Gap will be on the field week 17. So I think those guys actually have more value in this format where we're, you know, putting more emphasis on the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, I'm okay with such guys in round 10 plus Jameson Williams is not a factor for me at all because he pairs the January ACL tear with being a rookie receiver and Detroit, you know, just invested a first round pick in him. So they, if anything, they should be motivated to bring him along slowly because they want long-term Jamison Williams success much more than they want uh, 2022 Jamison Williams success. At least they should. So I just, it's tough for me to envision anything big from him this year. And I, I think he's going too early for me to, you know, just say, I hope he has a big week 16, week 17. Yeah. Yeah. The price is a thing on Williams. Um, I could, I, I could see him having a nice second half of the season. I mean, what they paid to move up to get him. Um, and I don't think like DJ Chark and even I'm on Ross St. Brown are like enough to, you know, keep Williams out of the mix if he's healthy. Uh, but 10th round is a bit early for me. I think I actually took him um, in one of these best ball mania threes I've, I've done. I think it was in the 11th or 12th round. Um, but his ADP does seem to be climbing. Yeah. I just say that I, I think there it's much more likely that he's, um, basically a non-factor this year than that he is a significant factor. So I'll, I'll just let somebody else um, take him where he's going. Um, Rondell Moore, what do you think about him? I know you were a big fan of him last year. This is half PPR, so it hurts his outlook. But what do you think about him in general? We've talked a little bit about Arizona, about DeAndre Hopkins missing. Um, you know, Christian Kirk's gone. So there's obviously opportunity upside to him. But we also need him to get a lot further down the field before catching his passes this year than he was last year when he basically was getting running back level uh, average target depth. And, you know, I, I say that literally he was he was like one point three in a dot. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked him as a prospect coming out. I, I did see him as a guy with a low floor just because the size thing. Um, and I think to me, his rookie season was discouraging. Um, definitely not throwing in the towel on him yet. And the Christian Kirk departure obviously helps. And then the, the DeAndre Hopkins suspension means like more has to be a big part of that offense for at least, you know, the first six games of the season. Um, beyond that, we'll, we'll see, I guess. But yeah, he, his usage definitely needs to change. I know uh, the Cardinals have already been talking up, you know, using him in more diverse ways this season, getting him downfield more. So um, that, that that's good to hear. And he's going at a, a price. And where did he go here? Went in the 11th round. Like, I think that's definitely a fair area to take a shot on him. Yeah, I think he's going in a fair price range. I think that his ceiling is is pretty low for this particular format, but I have absolutely no problem with drafting him there. 
Uh, I'm going to go ahead and reach for Cole Komet here because I don't have a tight end. I just took Justin Fields before that turn. And I think that Cole Komet, even though his ADP um, says that this is too early for him, I haven't projected a lot higher than this. And I think we're in a range where he's probably not going to get back to me. I would rather reach ahead of ADP, which was about a round ahead of what his ADP said, and secure him as a stack for me with Justin Fields and, and bet that the two of them hit together than I would you know, wait and take somebody else that I don't like at this spot. And nothing else excited me um, at that particular turn anyway. Yeah. I liked the, uh, I liked the fields pick, even, you know, despite the uh, lack of weapons that he's going to be working with this season, I think, you know, the rushing upside alone makes him a nice pick at the end of the 11th. Um, I was happy to get, to get Jarvis Landry at 11 Oh nine there. He completes my um, game stack there with that um, Hertz Goddard Eagle stack. Uh, run it back with, with Landry in week 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll have to start looking a little bit more at week 17. I think this is really the range where I, I care about mm-hmm. it. Like I said, I use it for some tiebreakers earlier, but this is the range where I think ADP versus value gets a lot more nebulous. You don't want to reach too far. And by too far, I mean further than you have to, like you don't want to take mm-hmm. a guy in round 12, if you can almost definitely get him in round 15. So I, you know, I want to be aware of that and I don't want to overreach to that degree. But like I said, with Cole Komet, I don't think it's outlandish to draft him there because I haven't projected inside the top 12. So I like going for him right there. And I think in this range too is where I like to go ahead and put together some week 17 matchups. One that I have enjoyed so far is Arizona and Atlanta. And I think part of it is that they're not that difficult to just kind of collect random players from, like, especially if I end up with Kyle Pitts through the early rounds. I think sticking, um, you know, if you wind up with Kyler Murray on that team, you can get DeAndre Hopkins at that depressed value. And then late in the draft, you can stick somebody like Daryl Williams and, you know, maybe he ends up being nothing, but he also is the kind of guy that could end up being a differentiator as he was in the final week of last season when he happened to step in for an injured Clyde Edwards, Elaire in chiefs lineups. Ryan Edwards is there usually in 18th round of these drafts. I'm still interested in him. Um, AJ green, I know it's not exciting, um, <laughs> but he, he, he's there late. So yeah, I, I've, um, I, I have that, uh, Arizona Atlanta game stack on one of the, on one of those teams I've drafted so far that the Falcons were actually, uh, Cordell or Patterson who I got in round nine or 10, I want to say, then I took Brian Edwards with my last pick. And that was, that was paired up with, um, I think it's a Kyler Murray Rondell Moore stack on that team. The bears lions week 17 matchup is, also potentially interesting. I'm not sure how much Detroit I'm going to get to go with my Justin Fields and Cole Komet, but there are certainly options. And now it's now is when it's time to look and see like when DJ Chark's going to go and consider things like that. Well, that that's almost where we're getting to here as we dive deeper and there's more and more content on this underdog stuff. Like everyone knows now to stack week 17 games. Now you have to start thinking about it like ownership wise for a GPP, like which of these games is going to be the most popular game stacks. You know, it's obviously going to be, you know, people want to ch- stack chiefs, Broncos. They want to stack bills, Bengals, but like, which game could, like, which game is going to be the sneaky shootout of week 17, which is like impossible to forecast this far in advance. But like, if you can nail that game, make it to that point and have a stack there, that's going to be, you know, much more advantageous than having, you know, the, the chiefs Broncos stack that maybe, you know, 25% of the teams in the finals are going to have. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, you know, just kind of to the point we've been hammering so far, 
it's been less for me about focusing on the games that I think are going to be the biggest games in week 17, which, you know, we, we can all guess, but we're probably going to be wrong to some degree. It's more about finding the players that are actually playing against each other in week 17. So if, if Chicago happens to go off in that game, you know, we get more passing from the lions mm-hmm. and those guys maybe have a bit more upside than you might anticipate from that point. I just saw DJ Chark leave the board. So he's not probably not going to be, well, obviously he's not going to be in the mix for me in this particular format. Um, and I, that might be the last Detroit wide receiver that I would even look at here. So that might yeah. uh, just free me from having to overthink taking lions wide receivers on this particular roster. I'm, I don't know. Should I take Albert O here? I, I guess you only have, you only have the one Bronco pass catcher. Yeah, I do. yeah, yeah. I like that. I think it you know, it fits your build because you waited for a while to take your tight end one, and it it uh, gives you a stack. Yeah, I'm a little concerned that Alberto ends up you know not being special this year, but at yep. this point he's a, what tight end 16, 17 in this draft. It was right around yep. ADP, maybe even a little bit past ADP if I look at the numbers here. Yeah, he's almost around past ADP, so I think it's fair. Um, it's somebody that I have not been excited about, especially because they're already talking about the potential for Greg Dulcich to be significantly involved, but you know, said it before, we'll say it a bunch more times. We're looking for spike weeks and there's certainly spike week potential to an athletic tight end with Russell Wilson. Well, yeah. And I just think in general, again, in this top eight format, you're just looking to, you know, maximize your profit if you do get something like that right and if Albert O is just the guy this year like he you know he was before they drafted Dulcich you know we we had him ranked among our top 12 tight ends which I still think he could be that if the rookie doesn't you know fire this year and it's just all all Oakway Boonham yeah I'm reaching right now and taking Will Fuller because I don't like anything on the board I need a wide receiver I think there's ultimate upside and I also think that there's a possibility, obviously it's not something I would plan on, but there's a possibility that Will Fuller lands in Chicago. It's certainly as needy a team as there is in the league and a specific player type that Chicago could use. So if Will Fuller were to land in Chicago with my Justin Fields, that would be awesome. But really the you know downside of that is Will Fuller lands anywhere and is an upside player anywhere. So I'm not betting heavily on Will Fuller, but at a time when I don't want anything else and I would need slash want a receiver more than anything else, I don't mind reaching a little bit for Will Fuller. I don't know why the Bears would not be interested in Will Fuller at this point. I mean, I you know, think if he's healthy, he'd be their 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 best receiver. So that'd be a good landing spot for him. Um, I, I took Trevor Lawrence in the 13th there. So that's my quarterback too. I'll be done at quarterback now um, with Lawrence and Hurts. I'd like Lawrence um, just straight up as a value. And I also like the fact that all his stacking partners are cheap. Um, and there's still a few on the board here that I might look to grab later. Um, and then I took kind of Gainwell there in the 14th. Um, so he's my fourth running back. So again, I waited until the 14th round to take my fourth after taking the three early. And, um, you know, Gainwell gives me a, a third piece of that Eagle stack to go with Jalen Hurts and, and Dallas Goddard. And, you know, he's, he's a pass catching back. So I think, you know, games when Hurts has a nice passing day, you know, G- Gainwell should be, or at least could be a, a part of that. They'll also be in uh, trailing position in such games. So maybe you want uh, the, the Eagles to fall behind, not have as good a season this year. So we get a little bit more of that. Um, trying to look to see if there were any other, I don't know, surprising picks along the way. Tua, I, I'm a little bit surprised that he hasn't climbed at all, given that Tyreek Hill's still in round two, Jalen Waddle is still in round three, yet even teams that take one of those guys don't want to 
climb the board to get him. And in our particular draft, the Jalen Waddle drafter did end up getting Tua, and Tua is actually his first quarterback all the way there at the end of round 13. But that's a that's a good example. Like to me, Tua would have made sense for this team a turn earlier at the 11-12 turn. Um, because if Jalen Waddle does hit that round three ceiling that he's chasing by drafting Jalen Waddle there, he's probably at least bringing Tua with him on a week-to-week basis. So I, I would probably make that move to take Tua in that range as opposed to trusting that he's going to make it to me. In our draft, we had to have Matt Ryan, Trevor Lawrence go ahead of Tua for him to make it to that stage. Yeah, I definitely would have grabbed two if I was that team. Um, yeah, just talking about those the, the the Dolphins passing game ADPs do not make sense. Like either Hill and or Waddle are way overvalued, or Tua Tagovailoa is way undervalued. I mean, you know, th- you know th- those two receivers are going to be a big part of the passing game, obviously. But you know, they signed Cedric Wilson to a pretty nice deal. They have Mike Gesicki. Like if if Waddle and Hill are both going to finish as top fifteen wide receivers, which is their which is where they're being drafted now, um, you know, Tua, Tua should be going quite a bit higher. Yeah, I can understand taking Tyreek Hill in round two and not betting on Tua. I think especially if you take Jalen Waddle in round three, to me, you should also be betting on Tua. And, you know, like I said, the guy ended up with him here, so I'm not faulting. I I can't fault in retrospect um, the approach. I probably would have taken him over Michael Carter at that 11-12 turn, though, and made sure that I got that stack because at the very least, there's the weekly upside um, if I have Jalen Waddle on my roster already. Nicole Hardman is a player that I have not been drafting at all. I know he went right before your Jamison Crowder pick. How do you feel about Nicole Hardman at the moment? Are you taking him at all? Are you considering him at all? Or is he like somebody that pops up in ADP and you're like, well, there's one player I don't have to worry about. I guess I better scroll (laughs) down further and see what I'm taking. Yeah, definitely closer to the ladder there. Um, I I just did Chiefs profiles yesterday, digging into all those wide receivers. Um, Hardman's just done nothing from a production standpoint or an efficiency standpoint to be excited about him. I and mean, I know there's opportunity there with Tyreek Hill gone, but Hardman's had like eight or nine games. And I, I tweeted this at some point, he's had like eight or nine games without Tyreek Hill in the lineup already. And he's had a good fantasy game in like two of them. So I just, I just, I just don't think he's capable of, you know, playing a bigger role in the offense than he did last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if anything, the Chiefs this offseason have said, uh, we don't need Tyreek Hill because we don't want to pay him what he costs. And Nicole Hardman is not the answer because yep. right after we trade Tyreek Hill, we're going to add Juju. We're going to add um, Sky Moore in the draft. We're going to add Marquez Valdez-Scantling. We need to spread this around because we don't have a replacement plan in place. If anything, I like Nicole Hardman less right now than I did, you know, four months ago yeah agreed agreed i need wide receivers here jared and i think donovan people's jones is a little bit underrated at where he's going we see wide receivers climb in these drafts anyway because everybody wants them early and everybody is taking seven plus a lot of teams are taking eight or nine donovan people's jones is the ideal fit for the format because he is either going to get you like three points (laughs) or like 30 because every single one of his targets travels 90 yards in the air and he catches <laughs> nothing in between that. I mean, the, the only concern there now is, you know, how many games, if any, are you going to get from Deshaun Watson um, with, you know, the stuff that's came out this week on that. Um, hopefully we have a resolution on that soon. You know, it's been going on for like over a year now, um, but I, I love people's Jones as a player. I think he's flashed. Um, I, th- there have been, 
you know, whispers that the Browns still want to add something at wide receiver. And that would you know probably be to compete with, with DPJ. But again, you know, 15th round, I think if he's like the other outside wide receiver there with Deshaun Watson for even you know 12 games, I think he's, he's a great pick in the 15th. And frankly, last year with a broken Baker Mayfield, he still had mm-hmm. spike weeks. And if I can, from my round, my late round 15 pick, get a couple of big weeks, that's, that's really all I'm looking for. Specifically here, he pairs with Deontay Johnson um, as a week 17 matchup. So I like him better for that. And I like DPJ over David Bell because of the length of those targets, because yep. he looks good in the end zone, because he's a good bet to be one of those top two receivers. I think he was working like that last year. You know, he profiles like that. He's got the athleticism. He was a later round pick, but it, it seems like we always knew that he was a better athlete than where he was drafted into the NFL. And he has already kind of ascended into that Cleveland starting lineup. So I'm not worried about that draft position. I'm much more interested in that spike week potential. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I took Isaac Evan Ingram in the 15th there. So he's my um, stacky with Trevor Lawrence, who I took the round earlier, I think. Um, and then I took uh, Wondell Robinson in the 16th round there, you know, just kind of betting on a guy who get, got good draft capital. Um, there's been good stuff on him from OT, OTA so far. So I'm looking at Noah Fant still sitting in the on the board. And I, you know, if I were in your spot, I would probably take Evan Ingram over Noah Fant as well because of the yep. stack with Trevor Lawrence. And I think that matters more, especially because we're talking about two guys that are both capable, um, just athletically, of out way outperforming their draft position. I'm surprised that Noah Fant is falling as much as he is, though. And I think that's a little bit of overrating the situation versus underrating the player. Um He's probably their number three target. I don't care how bad the quarterback play is. He's going to get some looks. And at the very least, his athleticism plus what we've heard lately about that Denver offense trying to be friendly to tight ends seems like it should give him some spike weeks. I don't want to be in on the Seahawks passing game, but with what's happening to their ADPs, I I, kind of am. You know, DK Metcalf's wide receiver 22 now in underdog. He's he's 17th in our half PPR rankings. And we're conservative with the projections on him. I mean, we have his efficiency way down from what it was with Russell Wilson. But, um, you know, Tyler Lockett's available in like the eighth or ninth round. Fant is going super late. They're just talented guys. I'm just going to bet on the talent. The the volume might not be huge. But like those three guys are gonna, you know, soak up a vast majority of the targets there. So I think they're gonna see enough volume. You bet on the talent, even with crappy quarterback play. I think I think they can pay off at their price tags right now. Yeah, I don't want to bet on the Seattle pass offense <laughs> either, but neither does anybody. And that's the key is you don't have to bet on them anymore. All you have to do is be like, okay, it's round five. DK Metcalf does not suck. I think I'll go ahead and yep. take DK Metcalf. Yep. Oh, it's the double digit rounds. It's round 15, 16. Noah Fant doesn't suck. I'm gonna go ahead and take Noah Fant. I mean, that that's really all there is. Same thing with Tyler Lockett, as you mentioned. I mean, it's when everybody doesn't want them, that should make you, if, if it doesn't make you start to want them, it should at least make you say, well, is this guy going too far down the board? And I think in, in the case of all three of those Seahawks, it absolutely is pushing all three of them too far down the board. Yeah, and again, I mentioned this before with DK. I think what does hurt them in this format is people don't want to stack them. But, I mean, you don't need to stack every single one of your picks. You're not going to stack every one of your picks. You're going to stack, you know, two or maybe three of them with with your quarterbacks. Um, so, at, at some point, they definitely become values. And I think they're all at that point right now where they're, they're worth taking. 
Right. And you find people, you know, mocking the idea of focusing so much on stacks and so much on week 17. And I think that's when it, you do get yourself into trouble is if mm-hmm. you're so concerned about stacking that you don't want a very good Seattle receiver just because you don't want Drew Locke or more importantly, because you don't know who the Seattle starting quarterback is going to be right now. You know, for one, you can take some of any of the Seattle quarterbacks or even spread it around if you're drafting a lot. And there are so many volume drafters at this point. I'm surprised that at least that hasn't acted as a safety net for those. But, you know, you can if you are even drafting for moderate volume, you can take a few shares of Drew Locke or two shares. You know what? Take like some DK Metcalf, put some of that DK Metcalf with Drew Locke. And that could be a differentiator if he does happen to start for them all season. And they do have some spike weeks and key spots. Yep. Very happy to get Brian Robinson there. Um, he, he's a guy I like, and, and I'm, I'm kind of in on Antonio Gibson even at his price tag, but that doesn't mean I'm out on Robinson. I think, you know, in the 17th round, I think worst case, he's a really nice handcuff behind a, a guy in Gibson who's who had trouble staying healthy already through two NFL seasons. Um, then I, and I don't know, there was talking, you know, I think Robinson might play a pretty sizable role, you know, maybe get some goal line stuff. Um, so I, I, I like him. I, he's a, uh, he's a guy I've been, I've been taking, uh, a few times when he, when he, you know, gets, gets here and, you know, this was like 10 spots after his ADP, but, you know, even if you have to take him in the 16th round, I think he's a nice pick. I went with something that could be a bad idea and took the other <laughs> Denver tight end that I was thinking of it's Greg Dulcich. So now I've got him and Albert. O. you know, you don't want to handcuff people, but it's a position where they each could produce as we saw with Albert. O. and Noah fan yep. last year. I think it's late enough. And I was looking for a third tight end anyway, so I don't feel bad yep. about taking that shot. I think I'm going to round it out. I'm, I think I'm going to round it out here with a running back and you know, it's kind of a coin flip among the options, but I guess I like the upside on Sony Michelle here. Um, I think because I went so wide receiver heavy early, it would not make sense to keep throwing darts at wide receiver here, as opposed to throwing darts at uh, running back because, you know, I started with Mixon, Miles Sanders, Damian Harris, Rashad Penny upside to all those guys, but they also all went late enough that I'm not betting heavily on anybody beyond Mixon being a stud mm-hmm. this year. So I might as well throw in one more guy that has, you know, not a long path to fantasy relevance in Miami this season. So I'm, I'm just looking through now, like with my last pick, trying to see if there's any other like game stacks I can make with guys currently on my team. Um, I'm mm-hmm. honestly not. That's seen. the stuff that gets difficult when you're doing the fast draft. That's, yeah, that's exactly, why you do yeah, the slow exactly. drafts because, so, you know, yeah. So, you know, when in doubt, I'm just going to take Brian Edwards. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, so that that's why I love doing the slow drafts is because yeah. when my turn comes up, I'm like, all right, so let's see now who's playing my teams in week 17. Let's exactly. check the latest injury updates. So, you know, there's certainly upside and downside to both formats. Again, the, the upside, I think, to these is that everybody's on that quick clock and, you know, making fast decisions and you see guys go yeah. very different than usual ADP. Um, but certainly it's nice to have more time to look into those correlations in the slower format. Yeah, we're, you know, not only doing a fast draft, we're also trying to do this live stream. So, you know, <laughs> it makes th- th- this this pro- this one. This will not be my best underdog team I draft because it's a fast draft and because I'm trying to talk while doing it. It's funny if it winds up being your top performing one though, too. Because you know what we don't we don't want to pay too much attention to all those things, right? So if we have a slow draft going, sometimes we have time to overthink it instead of just being like, all right, uh, I got the Eagles and the Saints that week. Mm-hmm. Um, 
let's see, Chris Olave is on the board right here. I don't know. I'll take Chris Olave. And, you know, maybe that ends up working out. Um, so, you know, there's, there's room to, to both over and underthink it. Yep. Always, always. I almost timed out on that last pick. Um, <laughs> not that last pick. It was my second wide receiver pick in my previous turn landed on Curtis Samuel, which Curtis Samuel, I was really excited about until the team drafted Jahan Dotson. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess I would not say that I'm excited about Curtis Samuel at this point. I do still consider him an upside player though. Yeah. I think there's still room for him. I mean, the Dotson addition hurt, um, but I still think there's room for a guy They're They're paying a crap ton of money to, um, and they got absolutely nothing out of him last year, but you know, if that growing issue is behind him, um, I, I still think he can, he can pay off in basketball. He's going to be you know, tough to peg when he's going to have a useful game, but in, in basketball, I think he can give you, you know, four or five useful weeks. Yeah. I, one, what I'm most interested in seeing with him is how they, um, use him, I guess. Uh, like, do they throw him the short stuff that he's gotten through most of his career? Do they run him out of the slot the way that he has mm-hmm. been for a decent amount or, do they throw deeper stuff like they tried to do the same coaching staff in Carolina for that one season with Kyle Allen as the quarterback? So I guess where I'm at right now is at least thinking that either of those things is possible and that we probably get some sort of a mix rather than expecting him to be so much of one or the other. Yeah, plus he had, he had like 40 carries one of those years in Carolina, which, you know, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if he'll get to 40, but you could see him getting, you know, 20, 25 carries this season. And that, that, that adds up. Yeah, that was a year where um, where Christian McCaffrey went down, so that certainly helped. Um, but yeah, there there are multiple possibilities. I think as a late yeah. round pick, there are paths to upside at least. Yeah, I mean, he opened his college career as a running back, so like the guy can do it. He he can be an asset there. All right, let's go ahead and pick apart your roster before we get out of here, Jared. You started with Najee Harris, Saquon Barkley, DJ Moore in round three. <clears throat> Uh, Cam Akers, DK Metcalf, Jalen Hurts, Dallas Goddard, Sky Moore. Anything you regret in that eight pick portion of the draft? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I mean, the, the, you know, the Moore pick I didn't love at value, but again, you know, it's a, it was a few spots behind his underdog ADP, so I, you know, theoretically got value uh, compared to the field there. Um, and I, I do like the upside on him, which again is definitely what we're focused on in this in this format. Yeah, that's a tough portion of the draft to, at wide receiver in particular because I don't love Cortland Sutton late in round three either. Um, but and I don't love DJ Moore because of his surroundings. But mm-hmm. they're both good players. They're both in spots where they could have um, good weeks and good seasons overall. So it's the kind of player you just say, "All right, I don't love anything, so I'll just take DJ Moore because I like the player." Yeah, I mean, again, my biggest issue with those guys is they're you know, to me not really stackable. They're not guys I I want to stack. Um, but I, I'm I'm happy with the you know, correlation I was able to finish with on this team with the three Eagles and the Jarvis Landry run back, um, and then I have the the uh, Trevor Lawrence to Evan Ingram stack as well. Anything I should have done differently in my first eight picks here that we're looking at? Um, let me see. I went to Devontae so. Adams in round one, then Joe Mixon around the turn, Cortland Sutton, Deontay Johnson, Brandon Cooks, Michael Thomas, Russell Wilson, Miles Sanders with my first eight selections. I mean, to me, just, I mean, I, I prefer like Jalen Waddell to Cortland Sutton. Um, so I got, you know, if you're talking individual players, like that's one difference I would have made, but um, you know, I like the structure. So you took the one running back early. How many backs did you end up with? Five. Okay. That's... Yeah. I ended up with five. And then here's yep. where I took three of them right in a row. Yeah, I mean the the, the Sanders hair Sanders Harris especially 
um, getting them where you got them as your second and third, I think makes sense. And then, you know, Penny definitely has the, the upside, you know, I'm working on the Seahawks profiles today. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that Kenneth Walker is going to lead that team in carries this season. You know, Pete Carroll has shown us that he'll just go with whoever he thinks is the best player. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I think there's there's a chance that that ends up being Rashad Penny this season. Yeah, I mean, you know as well as anybody that I started draft season being skeptical of Rashad Penny because we've gotten a whole lot more bad than we have good from him through his NFL career so far. But if we're in round 10 with however many running backs off the board, then it's yeah. like, all right, I'll take a shot that Rashad Penny comes anywhere close to his ceiling, even for a portion of the season. And if he does that as my running back four in round 10, uh, then then things are working out. Yep, for sure. Um, after that, for me, Justin Fields, Cole Komet, Alberto, William Fuller, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Curtis Samuel, Greg Dulcich, Sony Michelle. So, you know, I, I finished off receiver kind of taking shots on lower floor, higher ceiling guys. I think that's something I'm more willing to do when I do start out with, you know, this strong base of five wideouts. Maybe I should have stopped at seven here and done something a little bit um, more different, but I feel all right about taking shots on those guys and just kind of reaping the spike weeks without needing to rely on them. Yeah, I definitely think you could make an argument for taking six running backs on this team after you only took, you know, one through the first seven rounds. But man, it's just, it's tough to get excited about a lot of the running backs once you get past like round 12 to me. Mm-hmm. And these 30 second clocks make it especially <laughs> difficult because I'm looking at the ADP board of six guys that I don't want to draft and I have to take one of them or scroll to the point where I find somebody that I would rather take. And that's sometimes where I get myself into trouble and waiting a little too long on the clock. Looking over to your squad in this stage, Jarvis Landry, Jamison Crowder, Tre- Trevor Lawrence, Kenneth Gainwell, Evan Ingram, Wandale Robinson, Brian Robinson, Brian Edwards to close out your draft. Any comments on that segment of players? Yeah, well, my 10th round pick, Michael Gallup, was, was one of my favorite of this draft. Actually, again, just going back to the fact that we're focused on, you know, the end of the season here. And, you know, if he gets over that ACL and, you know, there's no Amari Cooper in Dallas anywhere, there's no Cedric Wilson. Like, you know, Gallup, Gallup could be seeing career high target shares over the second half of the season. So to get him in the 10th round, I like, um, you know, the rest of the guys, I don't really love just straight up, but I, I do think they make sense on this team. Like Jarvis Landry, again, is my week 17 run back with the Eagles. Uh, stack there. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell goes along with it. I I, lo- I I love Trevor Lawrence and Evan Ingram. Those are two guys I'm probably going to end up with a lot this season and to be able to get them stacked up together in the 13th and 15th round. Um, I, I definitely like that as my secondary stack. And then, and then I mentioned um, Brian Robinson. He's, you know, probably at this point, my, like my favorite super late round running back pick in these, in these uh, underdog drafts. Would you draft him to the same team in this particular format as you have Antonio Gibson? I wouldn't. I mean, it's, it's, it's closer now that Gibson's going so late. You know, if Gibson was a third round pick, then at that point you're just, you're betting on a big season out of Antonio Gibson. If you get him in the sixth year, you know, it's not as all in. Um, but I, I, I still don't like handcuffing mm-hmm. at all in these, um, in these best ball tournaments. Cause you, you're betting on that starter to have, to have a big season. If you're really going to, you know, get to the top of this. Yeah, I don't think I agree. I don't think he's going quite late enough for it to make sense. I think that there is some room for you to get two running backs on the same team. Uh, And an example could be Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, where if you're taking them in, say, round nine and round 11, I'm not sure exactly where Stevenson went. Yeah, round 11, Stevenson here. And I took Harris in round nine. I think that's late enough where you could put those guys on the same roster because you're saying with both draft positions that you're not expecting either guy to be 
that lead back. So what you can get is a ceiling season, you know, ceiling season from both of them by the whole offense being run heavy and them just kind of swapping off weeks where they are the ones that happen to score. But I think Antonio Gibson versus Brian Robinson late, there's still too big a gap between them for both of them to hit the ceiling that you're looking for at where you're drafting them. Yeah, that's a case where it makes sense. Like, I, you know, I wouldn't even consider that a handcuff situation. Those are just two, you know, standalone guys that, that could, you know, be alternating nice weeks for you. I'm not not even sure there's many more of those situations, I guess. Like, um, you know, C- Seattle might be close. I don't know. Where, where's Kenneth Walker even going now? I don't know if you could get him in, like, the 8th and Rashad Penny in the 11th. That It's, it's kind of the same deal. Yeah, let's go find Kenneth Walker. By the way, I'm wondering whether I should – um, make fun of you for not taking Zay Jones instead of Brian Robinson to go with your um, Trevor Lawrence because I'm a big fan of Trevor Lawrence too, but I'm also yep. a fan of Zay Jones at the very end of drafts after getting a big free agent contract. Zay Jones and LaVisca Chenault were in my um, queue there, and I think they both went before my last pick. Who are you taking first, Chenault or Zay Jones? God, that, that, like the, the numbers say it should be Zay Jones. I still just you know kind of want to believe in LaVisca Chenault. I mean, Chenault could still be traded too. Um, but I guess I guess on a Lawrence team, I would lean towards Zay Jones because I, I think you know if, if they hit uh, Zay's Zay, you know Zay's going to do it in Jacksonville. Chanel might do it somewhere else. There's just no downside to Zay Jones where he's going when you consider how much they just paid him in free agency, and you know that that says it's likely that he's going to be in the starting lineup right away. So I did find Kenneth Walker. He's in round eight. I think yeah. that's probably like the threshold for where you can take two of those guys together. I'm, I still wouldn't make that a primary focus. I'm not likely to put Kenneth Walker and Rashad Penny on the same roster, but I think that's the range where you can do it and it makes sense in this kind of format. I mean, I, I'd rather do it with a New England backfield. Like, you know, that backfield has produced for as long as Bill Belichick has, has been there. Um, you know, it's frustrating for fantasy, but the, the total numbers are always there. Um, you know, Seattle could just be a, a bad team this season. It might not be a team you want, you know, one or even, or especially both running backs from. Yeah. We'll take guys that fall there. Definitely don't want to overcommit to Seahawks this season. I agree. So that's going to do it for this one, Jared. I hope that one of us has the winning <laughs> roster in this tournament from this draft. And I hope that you come in second place and get almost as much money as I get. Yeah. Second place is a million, I think. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll take that. You can have the two mil. <laughs> nice. And we'll watch that week 17 Saints and Eagles game together. And then when Jalen Hurts scores all the rushing touchdowns, I will leave angry. But, you know, that's fantasy football. It's, he not, can, uh, it's not fantasy football if somebody's not leaving angry. Well, he, he can throw him to Miles Sanders. How about that? There you go. That would be ideal. Hopefully that that means that there's less Kenneth Gainwell around the goal line than we got early last season. But uh, that, that'll help all my Miles Sanders shares. So, That'll do it for this time. We'll be back on here soon. We'll be definitely rolling out a lot more podcasts now that we have had some time to get these profiles, almost all of them done, still finishing up. But you can find lots of players available now on DraftSharks.com, including a bunch of free previews. If you're not yet a DS Insider for some reason because you don't like syncing your draft board to draft rooms and getting help throughout your draft and winning money, if you're not a DS Insider yet, you can check out some free samples, see what kind of stuff is behind the curtain. You can also get a look at the tools before committing full time. So go to draftsharks.com. Even if you're not an insider yet, you'll find out the things that you can get by becoming an insider that we alluded to throughout the show for Jared Smola and the rest of the draft sharks crew. I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.